Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. What a tremendous amount of confusion surrounds the use of the term faith. Many people look at faith as a concept that comes up only in religious discussions. They forget or don't realize that they exercise faith every day of their lives, in people and in things around them. Some are even proud of their faith, claiming to have great faith and relying on it to get them to heaven. And they forget that even great faith in an unreliable object is very foolhardy indeed. Skeptics even contrast faith with reason, teaching that faith is only necessary when there's nothing to support it. Now this is absolutely and totally wrong, and how contrary to evidence-based biblical faith it is. Yes, people are often mixed up about this essential Bible teaching. In today's broadcast, evangelist Mr. Gaius Goff looks at the faith in three well-known Bible characters, Noah, Moses, and Abraham, and how it relates to the qualities of saving faith that we all need, the kind of trust and reliance on God that truly saves a soul. Do you have it? Do you know what it is? We hope that this message will help to make the concept of faith clear to our listeners today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, who is God? Is there a God who knows us, who holds our breath in his hand? We've been singing all those hymns tonight had that message in it. Is there a God who knows that my name is Gaius Campbell Goff, and yours is whatever it is, and the Bible tells us who knows our thoughts and intents afar off, who knows our course in life, he knows what we believe, he knows what we think. Is there a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and in every place? Well, just to keep that in the sticky side of your mind, I'm going to read verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So God is giving us a little glimpse of himself in Hebrews chapter 11 before he gives us a glimpse of people who believed in him. God wants you to believe in him, to put your confidence in the fact that even though you have never seen him, you've seen evidences of him. You've never heard him speak out loud, but he has chosen to reveal himself to us in a far better way then by our hearing or our emotions, he's given it to us in the scripture to reveal himself to you and me so that we can believe in him by faith. We exercise that kind of faith all the time. If you're a property owner or you own a car, you could say, well, I, I believe I own this car, but that wouldn't satisfy the legal claims that people have in this country. You have to have some paperwork. 
And that's what we have in the Bible. God has unfolded to us in written words that he is, and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So in order for us to know him, we must learn to trust him. That's what the word faith means. It's a word that means trust. But it's not just a casual trust. It's an unreserved confidence in a person in which you hold nothing back from that person. Now, I'm going to read to you of three people in this particular chapter that put that kind of trust in God. Notice verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. Down to verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, I know God will bless the reading of his word, and I trust what we say will clarify things to you. Because you understand, faith is an absolute confidence that I place in a person or a thing without having to investigate it fully. I just believe it on the record. We uh, have a Toyota van out there that uh, we researched long before we bought it. Went online, looked it over, and at the time when we bought that car, it had the best reputation of all vans, and so that's what we wanted. We wanted something that's good. So we looked online, we read the words, and the day came when we went down to this place and looked, and there it was. Just exactly the paperwork that we saw, and we bought that thing. And the reason I mention that is because we made a major financial decision based on words. And oftentimes people will do the same when it comes to a house or when it comes to a doctor's opinion. People will have themselves cut open and go through a surgery simply based on words. I look on the wall of his business and I see some paperwork up there and I see where he's graduated and seeing the courses that he's taken and the reputation that he has and based on written words, I trust a man to take a knife to me and open me up. That's faith. In the Bible, we just read of three men, each who exercised or who put their confidence or their trust in an unseen person and how the solution to their situation ended out was based on this faith. See, in every person's life, there comes times of crisis. When we have to make some decision, that's not only going to affect me now, but it will affect those that I love, people that know me. It'll affect my future in this world, and certainly in the world yet to come. One of these men, his name was Noah. And mind you, a crisis is weighed up generally based on the danger that's involved, the danger you're in, or the person who tells you about it, or how it will affect your future. This man got a word one day 
from God. He was an older man. He had some sons, some married sons. And he heard about a storm that was coming, a real storm. And there was a warning given based on that warning that he got from God on the words. He acted on that warning. He believed it. He went out, he and his sons and whoever else helped him, and he built an ark 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 50 feet high to save his children. He heard of a warning, and he acted on it. He heard of a danger that was coming. I live near the Pacific Ocean, and there's a tourist city called Seaside, Oregon, and it has a, this seaside, and the town nearby is called Cannon Beach, and right along those houses are right along the shore. Just beyond the towns, it goes up into high hills, but along that shore, the big wide beach just moves right into the city. In every corner and every street in that city, they got signs, tsunami evacuation route. And outside, floating out, quite a long ways out, they have machines out there that measure the waves. And everybody that moves into Seaside, one of the first things they do is to determine where they live. Will this give us quick access to a tsunami evacuation route? There was a serious one happened in another part of the world, and over 200,000 people died because nobody gave them the warning. So what we do in a gospel meeting like this, we tell people that there's danger up ahead. I don't know exactly what you do in your life, but really that doesn't make much difference to me. But just up there, beyond the last turn you make in your life, whether it's on this corner or on some hospital bed somewhere or in an old age home, just past that last turn that you make, there's a danger if you have never had faith and placed it in Christ and him alone for salvation. There's a storm coming in your existence that's bigger than anything you can ever handle. My wife is talking to her mother today. She lives in St. John's. They get hit every now and then with these hurricanes. She said the wind has picked up pretty strong today. Now, I don't know if there's another hurricane on the go, but one of the things that happens is that generally people get warned, and their warning comes with words. It's not that they see the storm. They prepare ahead of time. Now, in your experience, what do you suppose would be the worst thing that could ever happen to you? I see this man think, I'm living in an ungodly world. The wicked acts of men are getting worse. The minds of men are turning further and further away from God until they even doubt his existence. And there's even pollution in the world. The Bible says the earth was corrupt. And in spite of all those things that were happening in his day, people ate and drank and performed marriages, and married, and divorced, or whatever else they did. Life continued on with no change, no regrets, no repentance. And the day came when the warning God gave, gave way to fact. And thousands of people died because they didn't pay attention to the warning. I'm going to speak to you as a friend. But just past your last breath in life is an eternal existence that awaits you. And in that eternal existence, you will either be in heaven, in everlasting happiness, or in hell, in everlasting misery. 
and those are the only two alternatives. There is no other. So, there's a danger coming. And I would urge you in God's name to prepare now for that danger. Because, see, we just don't know where that turn is, the last turn in my life. Then we read about a man named Abraham. And Abraham got a word from God, a person that he'd never seen, but he prepared not because of the danger that he was in, but because of the person who told him. We expect our children to respond to our uh, comments and our actions as they're coming up and our training, and we spend a lot of time teaching them one way or the other. This was a young married man who was starting out in his life, and he lived down there just a little lot too far from Baghdad in Iraq. And this young man did pretty well in his life. Apparently, he had quite a lot of success, either passed on to him from his parents or he earned it himself. However, he became a rich man. He was. And one day, this man who lived in a place that at that time worshipped the moon. And they had down there these obelisks that had this flat altar on top. And whenever a full moon came over the top of that big altar way up there, they would take their most beautiful virgin daughters and put them up there and kill them as a sacrifice to the moon god. Awful thing they did. Must have vexed Abraham, because apparently he knew that that wasn't right. I don't know what you're letting your children be offered for. I hope you don't offer them to the pleasures of this life. There's a young man came here to the city, and he came up here to be a success in his life. He left a little home in a village. He never wrote back home to his mother, and they never had a phone call, made no attempt to communicate, and they tried to find friends and people, but he didn't connect. Four years later, he'd done pretty well, and he had quite a bit of money, and so he decided he was going to go home and surprise his folks. So he came down from here and went down to his home village, walked down the road and opened the gate and went in through and opened the door quietly into his parents' home. And his sister was over at the sink washing dishes when he came through the door. And uh, he thought she would turn around and throw her arms open like this and receive him with open arms. And she just kept washing dishes. Didn't make him no sign that he was even there. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> Never turned. And he said, I, I'm home. She said, yep. Kept on washing dishes. Well, he said, where's mom and dad? He said, you go down there by the church where the graveyard is, and you'll find where mom and dad are. Where were you when we needed you? Where were you when we were trying to get a hold of you? He said, I didn't know. He, she said, how could you know? Nobody here knew where you were or what you were doing. Now, she said, go on down and stand by the stone and explain to them why they died brokenhearted because their son never showed up for four years. And even though they had terminal sicknesses, you never showed up. There's people today, and all they live for is themselves, here, now, my pleasure, what I want, what I can get, I, me, and my, and we three and no more. And they forget about God, and they forget about eternity, and they forget about why they're here, and they forget about where they're going, and they live and die almost like animals.
without a thought for eternity in their heart until a voice comes from God. Get out of this place. Leave it. This is an ungodly spot. And I see Abraham and his beautiful young wife, Sarah, and they're standing out on the side of the road and lined up is their big, huge caravan that they're going to follow or they're going to lead as they leave Ur of the Chaldees. And somebody might have said, Hey, where are you going by? Don't know. What do you mean? You're leaving and you don't know where you're going? No, I'm going out by faith. God told me that judgment is coming here, that this is not a good place for me to be. God told me to go to the place that he would choose for me. And that's where I'm going. Come on, Abraham. Don't be foolish. Look at all the comforts you've got and all the things that you, the successes that you've made here. And the Bible says he went out by faith because God gave him a promise. If you leave here, I'll be with you all the way. I'll take you to the right place. I'll give you the right things to do. I'll give you children. Who would know anybody that lived in Ur of the Chaldees at the time of Abraham? Anybody know who lived there at that time? Probably not. But people today know who lives where Abraham went. The most influential little nation in the world is the nation of Israel. And it's there because one man, when he heard God speak to him, obeyed because of the person. And he walked out of that country and went to that little place called Israel. When it comes to faith, we act because of danger. That's a wise act. We obey because of a person. It's God who's calling you to come to Christ. And then we read of a young man. This is a young single man. His name is Moses. He had a good education. He had a good position. He had a guaranteed future. Everything was looking up for Moses, except one thing. It was only for the present. It had nothing for the future. And so the Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect, or he was looking ahead, unto the recompense of the reward. I'd like you to take a look into your future. If you live to be twice as old as you are now, young people, what do you expect out of your life besides money? I mean, what do you expect to be known for if you live just twice as long as you are now? And if you got everything you wanted in this world, would that make you happy? And if you could take a look into the future, what would you want more than anything else? I have seen people that I remember being at a reunion a few years ago of my high school student reunion, and I'm looking at all these people. And as far as the world is concerned, there's a success. I got a brochure with the names of people that are in the class. And between the time that we met the last time and this time, 30 people have died. And I'm wondering myself, what have they got to show? They got a little brochure of a class reunion. And that's about it. So take a good look ahead. And twice as old as you are now, what do you expect? will be the results of your life. If I live twice as old as I am now, I'll be pushing 150. So it's not going to be too likely I'm going to get there. And I'm not too concerned about that anyway, because I've got everything settled up for heaven already. Sometimes people just live for the moment. There was a 
doctor over in Chicago. He was one of these microsurgeons. He did every, you know, he had magic fingers, like he could do little surgeries in the brain and all parts, and did it through a microscope. And the thing was up there, and he, he they said he, he was an amazing man. And one morning, early about one o'clock in the morning, he got a phone call from one of the hospitals in Chicago and said, Doc, we just had an accident victim, and we want you to come. He's just life or death. And he said, I'll get there as soon as I can. So he lived on the west side of Chicago, and it was down past the center where he had to go. So he jumped in his car and headed for this hospital. But he decided that it was late at night, and he thought he would cut through the city and maybe cut some time off. So he swung down through, and now Chicago is one of those places downtown where you keep the buttons all down on your doors, and you don't stop at the red lights. You just keep going through the red lights and all. You don't stop. But he happened to stop at a red light about 1.30 or 2 in the morning. And as soon as he did, a man with a checkered jacket and a gray cap broke the window out on his side of the car and put his arm around the doctor's neck, and he said, I'm taking this car. And he opened the door, and Dr. Winters was on the street, and the man took off in his car. He was quite a long time before he got a taxi that time of night and got to the hospital, and he went into the hospital to see the patient and rushed up to the operating room, and when he got there, instead of washing up, the place was empty. It was just one nurse. She was cleaning up, and he said, where's the patient? Oh, doctor, the patient died an hour ago. Too bad you couldn't have been here. Sure, you could have saved him. But there was the father of the boy that was in the accident. He came, and he's really, really upset with you because you didn't get here in time. So he's down in the chapel, and he wants to see you. So doctors went down to make his apologies, and he opens the door into this chapel in the early hours of the morning. Here's a man with a checkered coat and a gray cap. The only one that could have helped his son, he stopped from helping him. And the son died. And the father lived to regret forever the fact that he was the one responsible for the death of his son. Now you understand. I hope I'm making this clear. You cannot please God unless you will trust him. Nobody else. Him and him alone. If you do, he saves you by his grace. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I would urge you to do that now. Yes, simple reliance on what God has done for your salvation, and on what God has said in his word about his grace for sinners, is what brings forgiveness to the soul. God can be trusted and his word will never pass away. You can fully depend on the impeccable person of Christ and his work on the cross of Calvary to put away your sin. And you can certainly trust in what God has written about it. Beautiful verses like, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Or this one, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. What more does the sinner need, my friend? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. 
Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.